chapter number 9, if you will. Romans chapter 9. And uh, we're going to be down here now in verse 25. So let's just start reading there. As he, sa- as he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth hath had left us a seed, we had been at Sodom and have been made like unto Gomorrah. Now, verse 30, what shall we say then? In verse 25 to 29 now, we're coming to the second part of the answer to the objection back in verse 19. Verse 19, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? And again, Paul is dealing with that charge from the, the Jews, and basically he's saying that God has the right to change his dealings with Israel. And he, his, her his, Israel's history tells her that. And even though Israel is, why yet? Why is he still condemning us? Why does he still have us cut off? Why does he still? Paul then goes in and he uses, one, the analogy of the potter and the clay. And we've been through that, that picture there. The right of the potter to take the clay and mold it into, the, into whatever vessel he chooses to. And again, the Lord isn't arbitrarily overruling and overriding the, the volition of Israel's free will or any of that, but rather in response to her, uh, in, in response to her unbelief, he, he forms her into a vessel of dishonor or to her belief, vessel of honor. So you have the response, and that's why in verse 20, he says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing, the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? He has the right. The vessel of dishonor, that is, issue with Israel, starts at the fifth course of judgment, the Babylonian captivity, for the southern tribes, and it runs all the way through the 70th week of Daniel into seven, in the second coming of the Lord and into the millennia, the millennial kingdom. So because of that, verse 21, or I'm sorry, verse 22, what if God willing to show his wrath? You see, God is willing to show his wrath. He's willing to carry out the program. And to make his power known. He's willing to do that. He's not holding back from it. He's not saying, maybe I do, maybe I don't. No, he's willing to do it. Endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. So now Israel, not only were they a vessel of dishonor, now they're a vessel of wrath fitted for destruction. So Paul's showing Israel, hey, you don't want... <laughs> 
You don't want God to finish out your program. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. Why doesn't God just finish us up and then move into the Gentiles and do what he's doing? And he's like, you don't want that. Verse 23, and, he, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, whom he hath called. What has he called us to? That issue of glory, prepared unto glory there. So God has deprived Israel of her prophetic promises. God has interrupted Israel's program because they were to do something amongst the Gentiles, they, and he does it right when they're to be fitted as vessels of wrath, Acts 7. So the fifth course of judgment starts with that Babylonian captivity, and it's going to conclude with the pouring out of the wrath. And what Paul is doing here is he's educating Israel of, hey, you don't want God to finish your program historically in the time. You don't want him to finish that program out. You want him to be that long-suffering, that merciful, that gracious God that he is. That's why that passage in 2 Peter 3 where Peter says he, he, he shed forth long-suffering, not willing to see anyone perish. He doesn't want to see that you perish, so he's, this is what he's doing. So now, in verse 25, you know, Paul, I, I can just think about him as, you know, he's just a regular guy. Israel, you need to relax. <laughs> you don't understand your program. You need to pay attention to what I'm teaching you here. You need to relax. You need to be grateful for God being merciful and long-suffering and changing the program because you're, you were destined for wrath. For If you look there at verse uh, 28, he will finish the work and cut it short. I mean, it's going to be, he's going to be the Lord of Sabaoth, that Lord of army, that Lord of war. That's who he's going to be. And you need to not, with, not stand against us. So now in verse 25, he's going to do part two to the answer. That it, God will finish your program. See, so what's happening is, is people are saying, the Jews are saying, and people today say, well, if God interrupted their program, then he's done with Israel. He's washed his hands. He's moved them away. He's finished he's not he's never going to deal with israel again he's doing this with the gentiles and the gentiles are spiritual israel and the gentiles get to reap the covenants and reap the glory and reap the kingdom and all that and what paul's going to come in and say is is that's not so god will finish your program israel the this interruption is temporary that's why in verse 20 uh, eight, he says he will finish the work. He, God, Paul is going to go back now into Osi, Hosea, and Isaiah, and he's going to prove and show that, hey, God will finish up your program, and you will suffer the wrath that God has prophesied to come your way. It still needs to be completed up. Okay? Now, I don't know if you have a Schofield Bible. If you do, there's a little note that he has on above it. It says, The prophets foretold the, the blinding of Israel and mercy to the Gentiles. That is false. 
okay? And basically what happens is, is because of that note, people will say, Hosea, Osi, predicted the church, the body of Christ. Because it, he's, Paul's using Hosea to say, coming out of verse 23 and 24 there, about, hey, it's not only the Jews, but the Gentiles too. So Paul is saying that Hosea is saying that God in the prophets predicted Israel's fall and mercy and long-suffering go to the Gentiles. Now that's just, that's heresy. Okay? That's not the case. What Paul is doing by saying, as he, say also, as he saith also in Osi, is he's reaching back to 919 and saying, look, you got the potter and the clay analogy? That's why God has the right, and oh, by the way, he will finish out your program. So Paul isn't going to go back to Hosea and Isaiah to prove that God is going to blind Israel and go to the Gentiles, because that's not the case at all. Actually, when you go back to Hosea and Isaiah, and you read where Paul quotes here, but rather he's going back to prove to Israel that God has not thrown away your program. He will finish the program out. He's just doing something different now. There's been a delay in that, and that delay is temporary. So let's go back to Hosea, Hosea 1. Hosea sits right after Daniel. Paul uses Hosea. And he says to, Isaiah, to Israel, remember what Hosea said. You see, the change in your program is temporary. Well, how do we know that? Well, because of he's, God made a promise in the Old Testament to fulfill something. He's got a covenant agreement with Israel. It's been solidified and, and verified and ratified with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the twelve. Hosea here, he doesn't say to Hosea, he doesn't say let's go to Hosea to learn about the Jews and the Gentiles becoming a new vessel, vessels of mercy. He doesn't say that at all. Rather, he says, hey, let's go to Hosea to find out what God said. I will fulfill it out. Look at Hosea 1. Now, Hosea is a tremendous, a tremendous little book here <laughs> because it demonstrates that Israel does not always carry that status of being a vessel of honor. She actually is carrying the vessel of dishonor here. Hosea 1, look if you will here. Um, actually, if you start in verse 1, but let verse 6. And she conceived again, and this is Gomer. Um, go back up to verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. A picture of Israel. picture of Israel in the land. Here's the status, spiritually, of Israel. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibalam, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. No, no, this isn't good. 
Israel is not where she belongs. She's not doing. Hosea, prophet in Israel, here he is out chasing, well, God tells him to go get married to a, to a whore, but it's not a, it's, it's, we're talking spiritually here. What is Israel doing? They're out chasing the gods of Baal. They're out chasing other gods. They've disobeyed the first three commandments. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loharamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have a ho- mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horse, nor by horsemen. And when she had weaned Lohermah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. What's their status? Not my people. Now, by the way, this is going to work. He's talking to the northern tribes, Israel. You know that because of the the verse there that says, but to Judah, I'm going to do this. But he's really talking to Judah too, isn't he? He's saying, Judah, you see what your sister's doing? Don't you do that. What's their condition? Vessel of honor or dishonor? Dishonor. They're not my people. But now watch, the fifth course has has come on them. But now watch verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Wait a second. What's happened? He's what? He's changed their status. To, to, and he's going to do what? He's going to finish out their program. Yet, why is God still messing with us? Well, well, okay, he's doing this with the Gentiles and the dispensation of grace and all this. We got it. Now what? Now, here's the, here, Paul goes back into the Old Testament and says, here's the picture for you. You know this. You know your history. Verse 11. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appointed themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And you go over to Second Kings and you get all of that information. The children of Israel and the children of who? Judah. Every, all the tribes, the north and the south, are now what? under one head in other words i am gonna finish the program god calls israel again there's a people in the future here this is gonna happen right now that's not happening right now you're under babylonian captivity you're under assyrian captivity you're right now is this but it will one day come to pass he doesn't call israel his people today Actually, he calls no people his people today. No nation. Let me say it like that. No nation. Why? Well, what does Galatians 3 tell us? There's no difference today between a Jew and a Gentile. We're all what? Sinners. We're all on equal footing. You see, 
He doesn't, he's not calling out a nation after his own name today. He can't do that. Come over to chapter 2 of Hosea. Chapter 2. Look at verse 23. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. What are they saying right now? Not my people. What will he say one day in the future? My people. What is Israel saying in, in historical, in Paul's day, in the early Acts, in, and in the Acts period, Paul's Acts ministry? He's not, the God, he's not our God. And God says, well, you're not my people. But what is he going to say out here in the future? Hey, you're my people, and they're going to say, you're my God. See? So Paul, using this here, is demonstrating. Hosea is telling Israel why you are experiencing the judgment and the chastisement in the moment, the Babylonian captivity, the Assyrian captivity. Why are we going through this? Because you are not my people. But over here, one day, you're going to be my people. By the way, do you see anything in any of this about the Gentiles? So Schofield's little note there about for Hosea foretelling future is just he's, he's wishing something he learned from some of the boys back in the day that just isn't accurate. Okay? So come back to Romans 9. So when, you, when Paul is doing here, look at Romans 9. Look at verse 27. I got to get there. Romans 9, 27. So Paul goes to Hosea and says, look, your history is, is you're, you're not his people back there. Guess what? Today you're not his people. See that time passed, Hosea, fifth course judgment, you're not my people. Today, body of Christ, dispensation of grace, Israel, you are not my people. But what's going to happen? Future event, I'm going to make you, change you, mold you, finish out your program so that you are my people. Verse 27. Again, Paul is talking to Israel. Context in this is tremendous. There's nothing here, there's nothing here about you and I as Gentiles. This is all about Israel. Because who's raising the objections? The Jews are. The Israelites are. The Gentiles are over there going, woohoo, we finally got somebody to talk to us. Cool. You know. Verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, Paul has already established the remnant principle with us here in chapter 9. He said, hey, it's Abraham, it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. It's not Esau, it's Jacob. See, he's already taken this great body of people and begin to whittle them down into a remnant. And God has always dealt with Israel based on a remnant principle. A remnant is actually what's going to happen is there's ultimately... Because of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a remnant within the remnant. 
And the 70th week is going to take that little flock, that believing remnant, and try it out even more. And, and solidify it down even more. That's why uh, in verse 28 he says, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. That's why it's not going to go on. It's only going to go for seven years. It's not going to go on forever and ever. Why? Because if it did, the remnant wouldn't make it. God deals with the whole nation this way. The earthly ministry of Christ, we're studying Mark on Wednesday night. We've been through Matthew. We've been through Luke. We've been through John. He comes in. He talks to the whole nation as a whole. What does the nation do? Reject him. So he moves over here and he starts pulling out the believing remnant, the little flock, the foolish nation. Moses calls them, and he begins to deal with them, teach them, train them. He comes in. He's got this public ministry. They reject him. He starts teaching in parables so that the masses don't get it, but that little flock, that believing element, does. But even then, what do we find out in the early Acts? That not everybody in that believing remnant is really in the believing remnant. They're faking it till they can make it type of thing. You, look at, you think about Ananias and Sapphira. What was the word? They're sitting there in the audience, sell everything you got, bring it to the apostles' feet. What'd they do? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They didn't do it. But wait a minute, they were there, so they got to be. No, they don't have to be. You see, there's, a, there's this remnant thing here. And what Paul's driving at is, hey, there, he's calling out a remnant and what Paul's doing is reaffirming what Isaiah has already taught him. Verse 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. He's going to do it. That's why Peter in 2 Peter 3 there, verse 8, look over there at 2 Peter. <clears throat> it's fascinating as you get, <laughs> Peter confirms a lot of this, even though Peter doesn't understand every little nook and cranny. 2 Peter 3, <coughs> 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. What's man, what's man want? Man wants it done now. Why are we waiting? What's the holdup? Maybe God forgot. That's what the scoffers say from verse 4 and 5 and 6. Maybe God just ain't going to do it. Maybe his word's not reliable. Maybe he's just full of it today. And, and you know what? Peter warns them and says, look, guys. By the way, Second Peter is written with Paul in the age of grace, he, late in Acts, period here. And he says, look, guys, don't think God's not going to do it. Because for God, a day or a thousand years is the same. I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my word. So Paul says, back in Romans 9, I, he will finish it. But yet, right now, what's he, how's he dealing with Israel? It's a vessel of mercy. See? Why? Because he's reshaped them into a vessel of mercy. And when he's finished with the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, what's he going to do? He's, Israel is going to be that vessel of wrath. And God has the right to do it. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Paul's talking to Israel, look, you don't want God to finish your program. You want to be these vessels of mercy. 
So don't, don't find fault with God. Don't argue with God. Don't just get in here, figure out what's going on, understand what he's doing, rejoice in what he's doing, because otherwise you're going to have a violent life. It's coming. You're not going to escape the wrath. It's the next thing. That's why I showed you when we looked there in Acts 7 a couple weeks ago. It, it was right there. When Stephen looks up and sees him standing, actually, do, do you see verse 29? And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Saboth hath left us a seed. We'll go back to Isaiah 1 here in just a minute. When Stephen looks up into glory there in Acts 7 and sees the Lord of glory standing, he sees him standing there as the Lord of Saboth, the Lord of war, the Lord of warfare, the Lord of battle. Isaiah calls him the Lord of hosts. He doesn't see him up there just in his Shekinah glory and everything's hunky-dory. He sees him ready to do what? Come back and pop the, you know, judge. It's time to pour out that wrath. Flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, First, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 says. He's not sitting up there going, oh, he's strumming a harp and playing a song. No, he's ready to come back. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's like, man, Israel, you're really going to argue with God? You're really going to call him on the carpet here for being merciful to you in the dispensation of grace? Because when he's finished with this program, he's going to start your program up right where he interrupted it, and that is in the position of wrath. Because that wrath has to fall out. It has to be poured out. Now, if you notice in 928, he will finish the work and cut it short. Cut it short. Think about cut it short quick swift, speedily. It isn't going to drag out. It's going to be a quick thing. And he's going to do it as, verse 29, the Lord of Saboth. Now, come back to Isaiah 1. Now, that's real close to Sabbath, but it's not Sabbath. It's Saboth. And you have to be careful with that because what that Lord of Saboth is talking about is... He's talking about the Lord of hosts. He's talking about the, the Hebrew word. It means host, means army. And it's going to designate the Lord, or Jehovah, as either the God of the armies of the earth or of the stars, God of the unseen armies, of angels, or perhaps it may include all these ideas. And that's what he does. He's the Lord of war. And what begins to happen here is in Isaiah 1, we begin to see that. Now, there, there's a wonderful reason why Paul uses the Lord of Saboth. Paul is dealing with the Jews. He's reminding them of what's coming with a title that they are very familiar with. You and I do not know the Lord as the Lord of Saboth. We know him as 
the God of all comfort, the Lord of mercy, right? We know him in different terminology. We know him, well, what does every epistle of Paul start with? Grace and peace. See, that's how we know Jehovah. That's how we know the Lord. How does Israel know him? Well, the Old Testament's full of his titles. One of them is he's a man of war. He's the Lord of war. He's the, he's the war Lord, if you will. Isaiah 1, look at verse 9. Here's where the quote's from. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Look at that. The Lord of hosts, that is going to go with that issue of the idea of the Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts, it has everything to do with the angelic armies who are positioned, who are ready, who are willing, who are able to come back and clean up the heavens and then clean up the earth, pour out his wrath. And who's leading the charge? The Lord is. He's, he's out front there. Uh, if you come over to, uh, let me find it, it's Ezekiel. Uh, I got to find it, I got to find it. Where he is, the guy that's come up from the spotted horses. Whoa, where did that go? They, he comes in, anyway, I beg San Isaiah, he comes up. And they say, Where, who is this guy? He comes down. He's been down to Bozrah and Idumea in his second coming. He's wiped them out. He comes back up on the other side. He's ready to come into Jerusalem. And they say, who is this guy covered in red? And the speckled horses all behind him. Well, who is he? He's, he's Jehovah. He's the one that's out there leading the charge. And anytime you've, if you've ever been around any horses, when they go through the mud, what do they like to do? Kick it up behind them. What, but what's he going through? The blood is up to the bridle on the, on the horse. He's, what's he doing? He's kicking it all up, and the guys behind him are getting covered. What's he, what is he? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of Sabaoth. But notice in 1.9, it says, Left unto us a very small remnant. Now think about that. A what size remnant? A very small remnant. When they started the book of Acts, there was only 120 of them in the upper room. By the time you get to Acts 7, there are a great multitude, probably about 20 to 25,000. Now, that's how you do a real megachurch. Less than a year get that big. Okay? The problem is, is what began to happen in Acts 7. Actually, it started in Acts 3 and 4 persecution comes and there becomes a torment on it and he goes right down and he he again paul's using this to say look guys he's not done with you he's he will finish your program he didn't just throw it away and he's doing this just with a very small remnant but when he does when he finishes out your program, he's doing it as the Lord of Sabaoth. He's doing it as the Lord of hosts. He's not doing it as the comforter. He's doing it as the mighty right arm, the mighty one. 
Look, in, here, you're in, look down at verse 24. Verse 24 of Isaiah 1. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. What's he doing? I will do this. You guys think I'm goofing around here, but I will do this. And that's fascinating since Isaiah 1 corresponds to the book of Genesis. And who showed up in Genesis 1? His adversary. Who shows up in Genesis 3? The adversary. And what's he say? I will get that guy one day. I will avenge myself. I will. I will. And that's Paul's point. I will do this. And what I'm going to do as Lord of Saboth is I'm leading the charge. Come over to chapter 10 of Isaiah. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. Isn't that interesting? Verse 5, Isaiah 10, 5, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation. And against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Mire of the streets is a reference to the sewage running down the street in the, in the gutter. What's he going to do? The Lord of Saboth is using the Antichrist to do what? Clean up the dredge. Get out the dross. Expose the rebels. Get them out of, but what kind of nation? A hypocritical nation. You see, not all of Israel are Israel. And that's been Paul's point the whole time here. Against the people of my wrath. Uh, verse 7, Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few, What's the uh, whole game out there? Think about Israel today. What, is, what does Iran and them want to do to Israel? Destroy them. It's nothing new. It's in their DNA to do what? Destroy the cousins. They hate them. God says, that's okay. I'm going to use that to clean up that hypocritical nation. Verse 20. Verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day. Well, what day? Well, the day that the Assyrian is going to do, the, the 70th week of Daniel. By the way, if you look there in verse 12, Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my what? Wisdom. Never forget that all of this is done by the wisdom of God, the plan, the purpose of God. It's His wisdom. For I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Verse 20, And it shall come to pass in 
that day, the day when he's going to, verse number 9 of chapter 1, what's he going to do? <laughs> Avenge my enemies. I'm going to get them. What's he going to do? That the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The ones that are in the truth are going to have what? They're, they're the ones that are going to do what Matthew tells them. When you see this stuff happening, it's time to flee. By the way, when they see that thing in Matthew is those in Judah, not the United States of America, not Great Britain, not South America, not, but in Judah. That tells you the intensity of this is in Judah. It's in Israel. He could care less about the rest of it because what does God care about? God cares about that land and the nation in that land. So what is, what is the adversary concerned with? That land. But if you're in that land and you're a believing remnant member, what does the truth tell you to do? It's time to run to the cities of refuge. And you, that's why they're given to you in the Old Testament. Where are they going? They're going into the hills. What does Revelation 12 say? They go to the table that's prepared for them. But who's going to be there? That very small remnant of believers. Keep reading. The, verse 21, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption, even determined in the midst of all the land. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He will smite thee with the rod, and he shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. Again, I'll tell you, there's no small thing that Paul used Moses and Pharaoh in, his, in Romans 9. Because Egypt is the picture. There's no small thing there that God destroyed the ten gods of, it, of Egypt. Because those ten gods become the ten gods and become the gods of Baal worship and all of that mess out there because they're Satan's guys. God destroyed that. So, hey, Israel, if you want to see what I'm going to do, go look back to Egypt and look at what I did there. For yet a, verse 25, for yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease in my anger in their destruction. Several things going on there. First of all, there's a consumption that's been decreed. Verse 23, 22, sorry. There's something that needs to be consumed. A consumption. Over the, and back in Genesis, God tells Abraham, you're going to go down into that great whore of darkness, that spiritual wickedness. But you're going to come out a mighty nation, a people, a seed. And he goes in, but there's a consumption. He's the Lord God of hosts, verse 23 and 24. I, lo I love that thing there. Be not afraid of the Assyrian, uh, the Antichrist. Don't worry about him. He's, sure, he's going to make life miserable for you, but I get him in the end. Don't worry about it. In spite of 
Think about the, uh, the Assyrian and the adversary. He's going to make a league with the nation of Israel. He's going to make a covenant, an agreement. Isaiah's going to tell him, you made an agreement with death and hell. Revelation 6, the four horsemen that are ridden there are the four horsemen of the Antichrist, not the apocalypse. They identify the Antichrist, and the last one is death and hell. You made an agreement with him. You made a confederacy with him. You're going to... You, and he's going to come in and his peace policy and his flatteries. Psalm says he comes in and he speaks as smooth as butter. He's a politician. He's won the day. And he's going to be that man of sin. And then he's going to turn into the son of perdition. And he's going to make light. He's going to cause it so that when you guys think things are good, read Revelation 2 and 3, those seven messages that he sends out to the church, the little flock there. And he says, you're going to be tried. You're going to be thrown in jail. You're going to be pulled over here. You're going to be killed. You're going to be beheaded. They're going to, he's going to run your blood down the chalice down there. He's going to have a drink offering in the temple. He's going to be sitting there as God. And you know what it's going to look like? He's winning. But what does verse 24 say? Don't matter. In spite of it looking like he's winning, in spite of it looking like he's victorious against Israel and is destroying Israel. By the way, who's he really destroying? The apostates or the believing remnant? The apostates. Because he's after the believing remnant and they sell out the brethren. See? That's why the Lord will look at those Pharisees and Sadducees and say, whoa, you hypocrites. There's going to be a day out there when you're going to be standing outside of the kingdom watching the Gentiles go into the kingdom. And you're cut off. Man, the Lord, you know, people read the Lord, oh, he's meek and mild and lovely and wonderful. Not really. He come back in there peeling the paint off the wall. Why? Because this is what's coming. Despite everything, despite the way it looks, Verse 24, he shall smite thee with the rod. He shall lift up his staff against thee. What's he doing? He's winning. He's beating us two to one. But watch verse 25. And for what? Yet. Man, there's that yet again. There's that timing issue again. Yet a little while. And the indignation shall cease and mine anger in their destruction. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get them. And that's why Paul, when you go, uh, come over to Zephaniah, Zephaniah 1. That's why Paul says he will cut it short. As the Lord of Saboth, there is a decree, a decree that he's going to consume not only the Antichrist and his forces and the adversary and the satanic policy of evil and all of that, but he's also going to consume that apostate nation and the Gentile masses that have joined with the Antichrist for the purpose of simply destroying the little flock, the believing remnant, the seed. And he says, I'm going to do that. That's why Paul would say in Romans 9, God was willing to show his wrath. It's going to be violent. It's going to be swift. It's going to be short. 
Israel, he will finish your program, and when he does it, he's going to do it as the Lord of Sabaoth. So you know what you need to do right now in the, in the DOG, the dispensation of grace? You need to relax. You need to rejoice in what God's doing today and how he has declared you vessels of mercy. You shouldn't be withstanding us. You shouldn't be persecuting me. And what, I'm, and what God's doing through me. You should be on our side. You should be rejoicing. And yet, what are they doing? <laughs> They're objecting. Zephaniah 1, if you look at verse 8, verse 7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guest. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish. And you read down through there and there's a bunch of I will do this to my enemies. What's he doing? It's, he's, going, he's pouring it out. Come back up to Nahum. Just a couple books backwards. Nahum chapter 1. What's he doing? He's pouring out his wrath as the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of war, the Lord of battle, the Lord of armies. He's leading the charge. Nahum 1, look if you will here at verse 8. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Look at that. How's this going to end? Utterly. Boom. Completely. It is done. Come over to Matthew 24. That's why in the earthly ministry of the Lord, he lays some of this out here for them. Why is the Lord, you know, Matthew is such a tremendous book. When we studied it, trying to, you know, get into every little nook and cranny, but the thing of it is, is what Matthew does is it takes Israel and it lays out her history, future history. It says, here's what's coming at you. Here's how to prepare for it. Here's how to handle it. Matthew 24, verse 20, uh, well, verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Right, by the way, that tells you that Daniel's going to be there in the end. The book of Daniel's going to be there. That means he's going to preserve his word all the way down. Then, he that, and then let them which be in Judah flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And though the days he's talking about is the last half of the 70th week of Daniel. 
Because the abomination, verse 15, happens in the midst of the week. In the midst of the week, the first half of the week, they got peace and prosperity, peace policies in place. There's not, they're, 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 he's getting into where he, he's a politician. And what do politicians love? Control, power. So he's getting that. He's instituting the mark of the beast. He's instituting different things that they have to run through and go through. And then as soon as that happens, he causes, he, the Antichrist is assassinated by a left-handed man. He's laid out in state three days. On the third day, what happens? The, the king of the bottomless pit comes in and inhabits that, that body and he resurrects. And when he resurrects, Guess what he stands there? Second Thessalonians 2 says he stands in the temple of God, temple of God as who? God, causing all that is worshiped to come and worship him. Now he's sitting there saying, look, I fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. I have fulfilled the Holy Bible. I have fulfilled everything that the Word of God said. I am God. So no more sacrificing. What did the Lord just tell them to do when they see that happen? It's time to run. It's time to flee. You and Judah, though, flee, run. Why? Because it's about to get really bad. And if you're, that's why verse 15 ends the way it does. Whosoever readeth, let him, what? Understand. Only a believer is going to understand it. Someone, an unbeliever will not understand that. How do you know? Because that's what the verse just said. You don't need any special. What the verse say? Let him that readeth, what? Understand it. Who understands the word of God? Only the believer does. So what's the believer going to know? What's the believing remnant going to know? It's time to go and get out there in Romans, uh, Revelation 14 and, you know, Revelation and do all, 12 and all that stuff. But when I go, what am I taking with me? Absolutely nothing, because what's in, the, what's in the wilderness? The table of blessing. It's waiting for me, the provision. Besides, if you've got a cart full of junk behind you, what's slowing you down? A cart full of junk. Now, you know, and by the way, by at this point when this happens, they will have been selling everything that they can to stock up on food because they don't take the mark of the beast. You think about the mark of the beast. What was the edict and the mark of the beast? If you take the mark of the beast, you're going to hell, period. There's no way out of that disobedience. So what's the nation of Israel, the apostates, doing? They're taking the mark because they want to eat. What's that believer doing? Can you imagine how hard that would be for parents with children not to be able to, you're down to your last bucket of beans to look out there and say well we're not taking that okay so here kids eat up and enjoy it because it's the end do you know how hard that's going to be but what's that man of faith going to do he's going to be a man of faith a family of faith and then along comes some gentile family that says hey here you need a few more and then what happens to them? Well, they're in the next chapter in Matthew where he's looking at them and he says, because you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me, so you get to go into the kingdom. That's right here in time. 
this 70th week stuff. This isn't today. This is future. But look at verse 22. Except those days be, what, shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. If God doesn't limit the torment and the persecution to three and a half years, what's going to happen to flesh? It'll be wiped out. By the way, that's the ultimate goal of the adversary. He hates man. So what's he going to do? Wipe him out. But what does he say? Except, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. You see, when that happens, that's why Paul, go back to Romans 9. We've got to wrap up here for the morning. What Paul's doing here, Romans 9, 20, 8, 29, because of short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Saboth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been made like unto Gomorrah. By the way, what ha- who, who, who made it out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember? Lot, Lot and his two daughters. His wife turned around and looked and made a pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah was a great metropolitan area, and yet how many got out of there? Just three little ones. Now, they didn't do too good because later on, Lot's daughters got him to do a little thing he shouldn't have done, and then you have the Amorites and the Moabites born, and off you go. Now you got real trouble. But the thing is, is what do you have here? The great mo- What's the picture? Paul's like, look, he's not done with your program. You shouldn't be with persecuting us for what he's doing today. He's not done. So now in verse 30, what shall we say then? And then we'll get 30 next, we'll finish the chapter next time. 30 to 33 is the conclusion. Now, Paul starts in Romans 9 by explaining what's been happening. Now, in 30 to 33, he's going to explain why it's happening. Here's what's been happening, but here's why. And the why is their unbelief. The why is that God's responding to their unbelief. And he's shaped them. He's doing this. If they had believed, then he's doing something else. But they don't. He tell, the Lord tells them that if you had believed, John the Baptist would have been Elijah, and I would have been that prophet. But because you didn't believe, we're just here in the spirit of. If you had believed. Now, God knows that they weren't going to believe, so there's no surprise on God's behalf, but there was real big surprise on man's behalf because nowhere in the Old Testament is there any information about God taking the Gentiles and reshaping them into vessels of mercy and doing something with them that's been kept secret, only revealed until the Apostle Paul shows. So don't think Hosea or these guys are talking about... By the way, none of what we read had the Gentiles in it except for doom and destruction. No grace and peace. Okay? 
All right, so we'll pick up, finish up the chapter next time because the hour's up. All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, we thank you that you have delayed Israel's program and that you will one day finish it out as you are a God of your word. And we thank you for the day of grace that you've bestowed upon us, that you've extended over the years, that it may include us today. And we're thankful for that. In your name we, we pray. Amen. All right. If I